0: For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 1 to 4. We will be looking at verse 4 this evening. This evening concludes uh, the series on God's blueprint for the family. looked at God's will for children, and now this evening we close it out with God's will for fathers. Let us now hear God's word, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Oh gracious God and Father, we do pray that the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. For you are indeed a rock to us, and you are our redeemer and deliverer. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul here addresses fathers. Why fathers? Why not fathers and mothers? I mean, he could have addressed fathers and mothers. In verses 1 to 3, we see that. When children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he says, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land, that it may go well with you. So why does he leave out mother? Well, surely, I mean, if you look at the Proverbs, the Proverbs clearly teach that fathers and mothers have a significant, profound impact upon sons and daughters. Oh, son, don't forget your mother's instruction. The mother is a a significant, profound person in the family. Has a profound impact in the life of a child. But Paul addresses fathers. Did he miss something when he was penning this? Did did he forget to put and mothers? Was it a scribal error? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul could address parents, but he doesn't. He says fathers. You see, if you've been listening to the sermon series, what's the role of the man in the home? The husband, the father, as we've already stated, is the head of the home. At the end of the day, God holds fathers accountable. Talk about weighty responsibility. Talk about profound responsibility. God calls fathers to be head of the home, head of the children, and he holds fathers accountable. The buck stops, so to speak, with the father. What does Paul do? Fathers, do not. He starts with a negative command, a negative exhortation. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In the early 2nd century, there was an apocryphal book called Ecclesiasticus, and it was a book of Jewish wisdom traditions and teachers, and it's also known as the wisdom of Sirach. And Ben-Serach wrote this, He that loves his child shall cause him to feel the rod often, that he may have joy of him in the end. Bow down his neck while he is young, and beat him on the sides while he is a child, lest he wax stubborn and be disobedient to you. And so bring sorrow to thine heart, chastise your son, and hold him to labor, lest his lewd behavior be an offense unto thee. This was an apocryphal book; that is, not scripture, or also called Deuterocanonical Second Canon. We would say it's not inspired by God. Is that the attitude that Paul takes? Is that his command to fathers to treat sons this way, in with almost this angry mentality or attitude? Fathers, do not provoke. It's literally one word, provoke to anger. And that one word means to exasperate or to arouse to anger. To push to the limit. Or as we would say, to push one's buttons to the limit. And cause despair. It doesn't mean that fathers withhold discipline. Nor does it mean that child, the child won't get upset or upset or angry with parents when they have toys taken away or curfew cut short. Discipline hurts. It hurts. Just read Hebrews chapter 12. Discipline hurts. Nobody likes it, the author of Hebrews says. But it's for our good. When God disciplines us, it hurts but he disciplines us because he loves us. Yet his children respond, perhaps negatively, but at the end of the day, it's for our good and for our sanctification. So though a child may be upset or angry with parents, this does not negate the fact that we must discipline or withhold discipline. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, Do not arouse an anger. So, then what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean that we should not handle them in such a way that they will be incited to a wrathful kind of living and become angry young men and women? Because that's what it is. It's a habitual pattern of angry discipline, a discipline out of hatred of the heart. A, a discipline out of an angry heart. Inciting the child to a wrathful kind of living, as one author says, so that the child becomes angry, just like father or just like mother. Fathers and mothers. Do we create an environment where it's easier for your children to obey or more difficult?
1: You hear what I'm saying?
0: Hear what's being said? To be sure, the Bible teaches fathers to discipline their children. For example, Proverbs 13 verse 24 says, Whoever spears the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Do not withhold discipline from a a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. However, the discipline of a child must be done in gentleness and not cruelty. Kindness and not cruelty. Not in a way that arouses an anger and enmity between parent and child. And habitual is important here. An habitual arousing of anger. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke. He uses a different word there. Do not provoke, but it has a very similar meaning. It's a synonym. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Or crushed in spirit. How might a child be aroused to anger or discouraged or crushed in spirit? Well, a father may be overprotective, smother the child, show favoritism. A father may be discouraging or neglectful of his duties to his son or daughter. A father may speak bitter words to his son or daughter. A father may cause physical harm to father or to son or daughter. The father may have double standards. Do what I say, but not what I do. I like what William Hendrickson says in his commentary. Very excellent commentary from the Reformed tradition. And he says this. He says that parents may make the error of provoking their children to anger by failure to make allowances for the fact that the child is growing up, has a right to have ideas of his own and need need not be an exact copy of his father to be a success.
1: Can a child grow up in a father's home Where mistakes can be made. Where a child can grow
0: up in a home and know that he sins but be forgiven. A father can create a home where there's no room for the child to make mistakes or even be a sinner. Or even be a sinner. Not my child. It's the law when it comes in my home. No grace. You think that may arouse a child to anger? When he grows up or she grows up? In other words, the bar is set so high, the standard is set so high that the child grows up and thinks that he's never good enough smart enough, and will never please or appease his parents. And he becomes bitter and angry. Fathers, consider
1: the Proverbs.
0: Consider the Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer or a delicate, gentle answer turns away wrath. It turns away, literally the word is heat. Heat. Or rage or fury. I like the word heat. When when there's heat in the home, there's a burning fury in the home. A soft answer turns away heat, but a harsh word that is a word that hurts stirs up anger. The father's word in the home has a significant and profound impact. And how your children respond. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook or pass over an offense. Proverbs 29 verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. I can go on and on. The Proverbs have a lot to say, fathers and mothers, about anger and what anger stirs up in those around us. So let me ask you, what's the spirit of the home? Fathers, what kind of environment are you creating in the home? Is it an oppressive, on-edge all the time, environment? Is it a home filled with anger and bitterness? Is the child set up for failure because the father's standards are more unbearable than Christ's?
1: The Christ who says, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. But in my
0: home, law. There's no room for mistake. There's no room for sin. The father's temperament matters in the home and has a profound impact upon a child and has the potential to crush the child's spirit and consequently may stay with the child into the adult years and yes, I say senior years.
1: Even senior saints.
0: That's why fathers are addressed. That's why fathers are warned. That's why they're warned. Do not provoke your children to anger. The goal of the fathers is this. Secondly, fathers, bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The goal of the Father is to bring them up, literally, to bring them up unto maturity. To feed into them mature Christian living. That's what that word bring up means. To nourish unto maturity. And this word, the same use is used earlier in chapter 5, verse 29. Look with me in your Bible. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. That word nourishes, same word, bring up. But builds it up unto maturity and cherishes it, feeds it unto maturity. Paul doesn't say that it's the father's or mother's goal to determine the future path or the direction of the child. For example, it's not the ultimately up to the parents to charter the course of the child's future vocation because parents do not play the role of God. I'm your father, and I have a wonderful plan for you, son. <laughs> I had a wonderful plan for my son. When he chose to go and enlist in the Navy, son, I have this wonderful plan for you, what you should do in the Navy. You should do this particular duty, this particular vocation, this rating. Oh, I, I laid it all out for him, and I gave him good, reasonable thoughts as to why he should go this route. You'd be great at it. I tried to convince him, persuade him with the positive aspects of following The plan that I have mapped out for him. I like to play God when it comes to my children's vocation. Thankfully, my son didn't listen to me. Because God has a better plan for his children. That's God's job. That's God's job. The Lord reduced me to humility once again and showed me my creatureliness and finite understanding. In a very re- real way, he taught me once again that he is God and I am not. The goal of being a father is to bring up a child to maturity, not to charter his or her life. That's God's job. Notice Paul doesn't say that the father holds them down or holds them back or smothers them into submission. Fathers and mothers indeed actively and persistently bring up their children in what? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the manner of discipline for the father when it comes to discipling his children. Bring them up to maturity. How? How? What's the manner in which you disciple your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord? That's our calling. That's our calling. We are stewards. We are stewards. Jesus is their Lord. Jesus is their Savior. Jesus is their rock. Jesus is their Redeemer. Jesus is their all in all. I am a steward of my children. And my calling as a father by God himself, is to instruct them in the Lord, Jesus Christ. Not to play
1: God in their lives.
0: The goal of parents is to bring up children to maturity, to know and love the Lord. In other matters like vocation, the adult child acts like an adult and makes adult decisions with the help of the Lord. And even in consultation with parents, The father and mother may provide wisdom and counsel and assist the child to know his or her gifts. The goal of fathers is to bring up to maturity their children. And the manner of discipleship is in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's look thirdly at the manner of discipleship in the home by fathers. How? How do you bring them up to maturity? Well, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord or the Lord's discipline. Here the word is paideia, and this means instruction. We can literally translate this verse in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. It's the same word used for the training in righteousness in second timothy chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 here we have the duty of the father to instruct or teach a child god's word and god's law and god's grace in jesus christ in other words teach the gospel teach the word teach them to know right from wrong Teach them to know righteousness from unrighteousness, holiness. Teach them to know what it means to have a relationship, a walk with Jesus. That's how we bring them up to maturity. How they may know and love and serve King Jesus. And so this idea of instruction is to instill in our children a moral compass a moral compass to the child's heart and mind so that they take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So that when they hit adulthood, they're able to discern good from evil, able to discern righteousness from unrighteousness, able to discern what it means to, to, to court or date a godly woman or godly man, to make decisions based upon the word of God. This is instruction And it's the responsibility of the father ultimately and mother to instill in children that moral compass, that biblical guide. And the moment that guide is removed, when one generation neglects to tell the next generation, you have chaos, you have unrighteousness, you have A new generation that begins and does not serve the Lord.
1: As someone once said,
0: this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Fathers, Instruct your children. Instruct them in the Lord, in his word. That's essentially what Paul's saying. That's essentially what Paul's saying. So first, bring them up in the discipline or instruction of the Lord. Second, bring up your children in the instruction or admonition of the Lord. Here, the Greek word used, it conveys the idea of warning through teaching. This is important. Warning through teaching. The father warns the child through teaching the consequences of sin and rebellion against God and his parents the consequences of sin when you go astray from God's word and stray from Christ you bring them up and warn them through teaching just like you would do it in the home i warn you son if you touch the stove while it's hot it will burn you and it will hurt
1: i warn you son or daughter
0: That you keep mindful of those you date. That if they are not in the Lord, God calls us to not date those who are not in the Lord. There are consequences. And the the objective, the goal, the, the duty of the Father is to instruct and warn through teaching, providing not only conventional wisdom, but biblical wisdom. This is the inevitable consequence if you go this route. At this point, I think a word needs to be said about Christian education and the importance of it. And we believe as a church and we promote Christian education, whether in the home or in the in the schools. Certainly. Education in the church, Christian education in the church, Christian education in the home, Christian schooling, homeschooling, all gospel-centered, all word-centered, so that in this warning through teaching, through this instruction, our children may develop a world-in-life view that takes every thought captive in obedience to Christ, that forms a world-in-life view that sees Christ as King, And that not one inch of this universe, Christ doesn't say, mine. Not one square inch we, we know and learn from Kuiper. We want our child to know the truths of the word. And also the warnings that come from the word. Fathers, make disciples of Jesus in the home. And soldiers of the crucified and risen Christ. The home is the training ground. It is the boot camp for our children to know, love, and serve the Christ. Yes, this is a weighty and serious calling. Yes, fathers, we've failed. Yes, at times we've provoked our children to anger. But the good news is we repent, we believe, we trust in Christ and His forgiving love. And He is merciful to forgive. He is merciful to forgive.
1: His mercies are new every morning.
0: We are shepherds and stewards of our children. Let's take up our calling, fathers. Let's take up our calling and instruct them in discipline. Discipline them in the Lord. In the Lord's discipline. In the Lord's instruction. Perhaps you grew up with a father who disciplined you with anger and hatred. Whether he's alive or dead, how do you move on or press forward? This is a reality. This is a reality. I'm not speaking out of turn here. Some have grown up with a father that was just an angry man A bitter man. And the child could do nothing right. How do you press forward in God's peace and comfort? Despite no reconciliation perhaps between father and son or daughter. How do you move forward? How does someone move forward? After hearing maybe a sermon like this. And having been aroused in anger and can't let it go. This is where the cross and the resurrection of Christ has to be central in your heart and life and mind. If there is no peace or comfort and, and no reconciliation between father and son or daughter, it requires it requires that a person give his hurts and pains and sorrows to Christ and leave them at the cross. He is judge. He is Lord. We are not. Don't treat negative past relationship with parents like a drug. The more I think I need to talk about it, the more it only upsets me and causes further harm. We can treat it like a drug. Instead, Lord, these matters are too great for me. They're painful. They hurt. Help me to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Help me to walk in the newness of life in Christ. There was a man who had a difficult and hard relationship with his father. The son grew up and became bitter and angry, blaming his father for everything wrong in his life. It wasn't until the son, a few years into his Christian walk, viewed his father as a sinner who needs Jesus more than anything when he saw his father from this perspective in mind he developed compassion and pity for his father he remembered the sins of his father no more because he knew his own sin and misery apart from Christ you see where cross and resurrection comes into play you see yourself in the light of Christ and you see your own sin your own pain, your own heartache, your own grievous sins against the holy God and say, who am I, O Lord, to be forgiven and free? How can I be resentful and bitter towards someone who needs Jesus? He remembered the sins of his father no more because he knew his own sin and misery apart from Jesus. Friends, that son was me. That was me. And God, by his grace, helped me to view my dad in a way, in a way that saw my dad as a sinner who needed Jesus. And the, the pain and hurt was placed at the feet of the cross, and I saw myself for who I really was, And so I turned the attention away from my dad and I turned it onto Christ who heals and reconciles. Because at the end of the day, it's all about God. It's not about me. At the end of the day, it's not about me. Those who die will be held accountable. Each one of us will be held accountable. But we live our lives in bitterness and anger needlessly. Yes, there's a righteous anger against sin. We get that. But when it's an anger or hatred against a person created in God's image and likeness, that's what God calls us against. Some of you have had wonderful fathers. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. A father who followed, though not perfectly, but sought to follow the Lord's command, Paul's command here in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Praise be to God. Children, tell your fathers and mothers that you love them and thank them for being Christian examples in both word and deed. They are not perfect by any
1: stretch of the imagination. At the end of the day, it's about Christ. It's about Him. And Paul
0: even alludes to this when he says at verse 32 of chapter 5 this is a profound mystery, and I'm saying this that it refers to Christ and the church. The family is a reflection of Christ and His bride, the church. It's always about Christ. Always. And even in a Christian home, there are imperfect sinners who live together and who are called by God to be merciful and forgiving and to confess sins to one another when one is grieved or offended. Live out, friends, May this be a charge to all of us to live out the gospel in very tangible, concrete ways with one another in the home. And by God's grace, you will know his blessing. This is a promise from him. This is a promise. You will know his blessing. You will know peace in the home. Well, this brings the sermon series to a close, but this shouldn't be the end of our pursuit to always learn, know, and grow in our faith and to apply God's word in our lives as it relates to marriages, husband and wives, as it relates to fathers and children and children to, to fathers or mothers. In all the family dynamics, we are always called to grow, to grow up to maturity. And may this be our prayer as a congregation for our own families. Lord, help us to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may our children teach their children to worship and serve and love Jesus, our Redeemer and Creator. Amen. Let's pray.
1: Oh, Father in heaven, As
0: we've studied and reflected upon, and heard sermons on Your will for families, as we've heard sermons on on Your will for wives and for husbands and for children and for fathers, we ask, O Lord, we pray that You, O God would instill in us a deep desire to grow as a family, to be diligent in the study of Holy Scripture, and that we would teach the Scriptures, interpret the Scriptures, apply the Scriptures in our home to our families, to our children, that you, O Lord, would build us up in the most holy faith, that we would indeed reflect that beautiful mystery that is seen in the marriage, that mystery, that profound mystery of Christ and His bride, the church. And where there is sin in the home, where there is brokenness, we pray, O Lord, that You would move hearts and minds, that You would move the spirit of those who Disobey and who've gone astray, that you would move their hearts in such a way that they bend the knee to Jesus and repent and be restored to you first and foremost and then to their neighbor. For you, O Lord, stand at the door and knock. And whoever opens the door, you shall come in and dine with him and he with you. And this is a promise to Christians who have closed a door on the Christ. But Christ, you knock on our hearts. You plead with us from your word to turn from sin and to turn to you, to exemplify and live out our faith in in the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Lord God, may you build us up and create in us daily, Lord, transforming us by the power of the Spirit so that those fruit of the Spirit may be manifested in our lives and in our homes. In Jesus' name.